0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 678, flashback to Spider Man Revenge of the Green Goblin and Spider Man Light in the Darkness. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 678. It's another flashback episode. Uh, This time... um I'm, I'm mainly flashbacking to the issues that are going to be talked about within two separate trade paperbacks. One of them is the uh, Spider-Man Revenge of the Green Goblin trade paperback uh, that was uh, printed, I believe, 2017, um, which collects Amazing Spider-Man number 20 to 29, this is from volume 2, as well as Annual 2001, Spider-Man Revenge of the Green Goblin 1 to 3, and Peter Parker Spider-Man number 25 and 29. Um, so... I when I first saw this this book actually was uh, being reprinted. I should actually say I'm also going to be talking about Spider-Man: Light in the Darkness, uh, which is a recent trade that just came out a, a, about a month or so ago, or even less. Uh, which collects Peter Parker Spider-Man 20 to 33, so two issues that were already in the Amazing the Amazing Spider-Man: Revenge of the Green Goblin trade. Uh, also has the Peter Parker Spectacular, sorry, Peter Parker Annual 2000, and it also has Amazing Spider-Man number 25 in it. Um, so it's both interesting trades covering roughly the same time period um, uh, of Spider-Man books, which would have been, what, like early 2000s? I'm trying to remember. the, the Yeah, well, I guess the fact that there's annuals in here that are 2000 and 2001 really says something about the time stamping and also my limited intelligence. Um, so these are what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but just thought I'd chat about these books. Uh, I mean, because Light in the Darkness just came out and I thought, I was looking at it. I'm like, you know, I feel like I've never talked about Revenge of the Green Goblin, so maybe we should talk about that. So as a little bit of a precursor, so when the trade of Revenge of the Green Goblin came out, uh, it was a nice, big, thick trade, too. Uh, I realized really quickly that this was finally going to kind of buttress nicely up against the uh, JMS Complete Collections, which I have only the first four volumes, and yes, it digs into my heart all the time that I don't have that fifth elusive volume. Uh, that's a story for another day and a, a cry for another day that I don't have that fifth volume. It bugs the crap out of me. But if it wasn't for that fifth volume, I mean, I basically would have, from the beginning of JMS's run, up to... Now in trades in some format. Um, I would have, I'm just trying to think, the complete, uh, so I have the JMS collections again, one to four, not five, unfortunately. I have Brand New Day uh, from whatever, I think what, three volumes I think they, they made of that. And then they switched the names to what, New Ways to Live, and then whatever the one after that was. And now they're going to be doing the Gauntlet Part One, and I would imagine a Gauntlet Part Two. And eventually they're going, to, and they're really close to getting to the end of. Uh, that kind of the brand new day era and up to big time. Now, big time, I have the complete collections, which again is a, a, something that bugs me because I have those complete collections. But when I started getting Superior Spider-Man in trade, I started with the single the sl, you know, sliver volumes. And because I did that and I couldn't have known what would happen in the future... Um, the, the, you know, the dying wish storyline in amazing Spider-Man is not in the big time complete collections, which bothers the shit out of me is instead in the superior Spider-Man complete collections, which I get, but it just doesn't fold as nicely. And so for me, I'm kind of missing dying wish and either I have to finally take the plunge and buy the original dying wish trade paperback or try and get the superior Spider-Man, um, complete collections, which are quickly becoming out of print themselves and have, a, and starting to get overpriced just recently. I've noticed that I think the first one's no longer available on Amazon.ca And so that's a whole other issue that I'm having, but like, cause once we have superior, I have all that and again, in trade right now. And then when it was relaunched as amazing, and then again as amazing later, I have those all in trades and again, an amazing later, I have all those in trades. So the fact that I can kind of trace this backwards. And so right before JMS, you have now the revenge of the green goblin trade, um, which, as I said, collects issues twenty and twenty-nine of Volume Two. And when I when this was first announced, I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm finally getting to the next chapter. Um, the three volumes, actually, I think a friend of the show, AJ, was the one who was able to get them. Or I think I got them on eBay, sent them to him, and then he, I was going to be in. Um, Disneyland, and I guess April 2017, and he he sent them to me. I remember being like so excited that I was going to be getting this mail uh, sent to me uh, wherever we were. We weren't staying at Disneyland, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm remembering the sequence of events correctly. Uh, I have a terrible memory, so it's completely possible that I'm not. Uh, but then I finally had you know the next chapter, and maybe someday I'll talk for the next chapter here. Not a great period for Spider Man. I liked it. Um, you know, there, for me I I got to start with, you know, the first issue of a new volume and I mean I was already reading Amazing Spider-Man at that point. Um, but I wasn't really reading all the other books. I mean there was there's was four titles. That was a lot to you know, to buy when you're like 15, 16 years old. And then suddenly there was just two titles. And I remember getting like the the Spider-Man magazine published by Wizard, which I've actually talked about before on this podcast. It was all about the upcoming relaunch and it was very exciting stuff. Anyways, this is all very long preamble. Well, that's what I do here. I just go on tangents. So that leads up to, you know, so I finally bought those three trades. So it leads me perfectly up to the Revenge of the Green Goblin trade. And then this year they decided that they were going to publish the uh, Peter Parker Spectacular. sorry- keep on to say Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. The Peter Parker Spider-Man issues uh, that basically were right around the same time. They actually went a little further. Instead of going 20 to 29, it goes 20 to 33. So was, you go up. Now, here's where it starts to bother me. I'm Actually, I'm able, I'll get into that later. Uh, you'll notice that it's interesting that in the Peter Parker Spider-Man collection, there's only one issue of Amazing Spider-Man, issue 25. And then in the Revenge of the Green Goblin storyline, there's actually... Uh, a couple um, issues of Peter Parker Spider-Man, issue 25 and 29, that will come into play later. Uh, So I want to talk about Revenge of the Green Goblin first. Uh, It's interesting that they decided to call it this, but I think that was really the only option they had. Um, This, you know, for... It's better for, for better and for worse. This was a weird, roughshod period of Amazing Spider Man. It didn't really know what it wanted to be. Um, you know, you, you had it was you know, you were a year and a half into you know the relaunch of Spider Man, you had or maybe what six or seven months removed from uh MJ being removed from the book and thought to be dead. Um, you know, you had John Byrne on for what, the first 17 or 18 issues, and then he leaves, and you have Eric Larson, of all people, kind of coming back to Spider-Man, which was fun, uh, you know, kind of over-the-top and, and fun. And then you have John Romita Jr., you know, uh, you know, on Amazing Spider-Man, and again, he'd been doing Peter Parker, but now he's kind of on the, the flagship book again, Um you know, it was, again, a weird period. Uh, there's nothing really kind of cohesively pulling it all together. And then in the middle of this trade, you then have this Revenge of the Green Goblin trade, uh, or miniseries, which is kind of a crazy one, but it's not bad. It, it's definitely, I think it holds up better than you might expect. It's actually fairly enjoyable. Um and it leads up perfectly into the next kind of big Spider-Man storyline, which would be an Amazing Spider-Man 25 and Peter Parker's uh, Spider-Man 25, which was you know a big deal when when it happened. And you know you had Johnny Romita Jr. on art on the uh, on Amazing Spider-Man. You had Mark Buckingham uh, had recently come on Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Anyways, you get both of those issues in this in this book. So again, it, it flows nicely off of um, uh, the you know, Revenge of the Green Goblin storyline. What's interesting about it as well is that, you know, that Revenge of the Green Goblin storyline is not included in the Into the Darkness trade. Into the Darkness trade, you just get the issues of Amazing and Peter Parker, which instead of just getting a text page explaining it, but there's other problems that will come up in, in a minute, uh, I'm kind of keeping some of my uh, my my irritation, trying to check, keep it in check for a minute, and uh, allow it to come up in a little bit. But uh, the Revenge of the Green Goblin storyline um, was a fun one. It was written by Roger Stern, so I mean, it's it's fun reading Roger Stern. Um, you know, writing the Green Goblin. I guess the worst part of the storyline has nothing to do with anything and more just the fact that um, they had given Green Goblin a, a costume redesign that John... Well, I guess John Byrne technically had given him a, a costume redesign that I never really liked and just kind of lacked something. I, I'm not really sure what it is. There's just... I mean, you have good artists on this Revenge of the Green Goblin storyline. You have uh, Roger Stern, as uh, sorry, writing it, but you had Ron Friend's penciling and pa- Pat Olive on inks. I mean, you really can't have a better artistic team, and those are two really good artists, uh, and they complement each other nicely. But just something about the way that they the, – the redesign of the Goblin that never really quite worked for me. The rest of the, the storyline looks great. Um, I mean, again, you would expect nothing less because you have such a top flight, you know, artistic team, and it reads really well. Um, and then you have this, you know, this big revenge of the Green Goblin story. Uh, well, sorry, that's what the trade was called. But uh, sorry, that's what the trade was called. That's what the miniseries was called. We have this big storyline where Norman Osborn basically decides that he's going to make Spider-Man his, his true heir. Um, John Muda Jr. attacks issue twenty-five with a, a ferocity that is just phenomenal like if you flip open the first page of that issue and you have this is it the first page yeah it is the first page you have this fantastic shot first of all i don't think anyone does characters standing in the rain like johnny Reader jr like think about of how many iconic shots he's done of spider-man in the rain usually Spider-Man in the Rain, but maybe it is just Spider-Man in the Rain. Um, but there's just something about his artistic style. He's good at weather effects and they have this fantastic shot. It's of Norman Osborn. He's, you know, just kind of wearing like standard clothes. Like there's nothing crazy about it. He's not wearing his outfits. He's literally just wearing like a rolled up uh, he's got those sleeves rolled up on a, on a long sleeve shirt, and he's just looking at this building. It's pouring rain. There's an, a look of intensity. You could tell it's him because, obviously, of the, his, the particular haircut. You have these great um, great lettering choices by, I'm trying to think who did the letters here, uh, Richard, uh, Richard Starkings and Comicraft's Troy Pateri. Um, uh, you have kind of a, almost like a diary kind of font of the internal monologue for Norman. You also have kind of the more standard text of uh, him remembering, you know, being yelled at by his dad. Uh, this is Howard Mackey writing it. He does such a good job here writing this issue and really having this sense of menace. And again, John Amita Jr. just pulled snow punches. That it's three pages of, is it three or is it? I think it's four pages of Norman standing in the rain, remembering his dad pulling him into this building um, and not wanting to go, him staring up at this building remembering like these thoughts even like kind of stepping through the rain gritting his you know his teeth um you know girding himself for what he's you know about to do walking into this building he's clenching his fist um you know he sees a spider in the rain he almost steps on it then he he picks it up in like a pool of water in his hand saying it has nothing to fear from him uh, or from the darkness and then they go into the building that's creepy as shit and obviously it's a larger issue than normal but i mean they spent four pages just on creating mood and i do wonder how much of it was you know just full script and you know this was early to, early 2000s uh or late 90s so like you weren't necessarily seeing full scripts yet so i'm i would be curious to actually talk to howard uh to say like were you using a full script at this point or were you just you know kind of letting it be Marvel method and was this like a John Reader Jr choice to kind of spend these panels to do this um again one thing i like here is that when you have the goblin in the storyline they get rid of the old the 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 costume from the last arc they get rid of the revenge of the green goblin kind of design that we saw there um i don't mind the cape necessarily but i don't i don't know if i like it for norman um like he has a bit of a cape here and i guess that maybe no sorry he doesn't have a cape he's just he's got a satchel like normal um it's a very it's a more classic design and it just works better there's something simplistic and i think i like the cape on like a character like phil but i never really needed it here um and again this this issue is about you know peter parker's having some crazy dreams he's not really sure what's going on he knows that there's a, a goblin out there um he's just tr- trying to figure out what to do and it's not really clear What's really going on? Uh, he sees, like, Normie. Normie seems to be the creepiest child in the Marvel Universe. Like, there are kids in the Marvel Universe who have seriously crazy lives, and he just seems to be the creepiest as shit. Like, how many times he's been playing with action figures and breaking them or doing something else weird or, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. I, I'm not even sure what's going on. Um Anyways, but the the issue is basically Spider-Man is you know going to sleep and he's having these crazy dreams and the Green Goblins attacking places and you know Peter's trying to rescue people and uh, he just knows the goblins out there but he can't seem to find them and then finally he's just so upset that you know feels like Norman's gotten into every part of his life and then he realizes something's wrong with his toothpaste and. Uh, you know, he, he gets knocked out and he kind of wakes up and it's Norman, you know, picking him up and he's like, you know, you, you gotta, don't be afraid of the darkness. You have to come here, uh, into this room. And, uh, you know, it's again, Peter having to kind of confront the idea that, you know, what's been going on. Who's who's the goblin been and he finds out it hasn't been him. He's been like kind of brainwashed and mind controlled. It wasn't him at all. There was a reason why the goblin throughout the issue, you know, wasn't speaking. It was actually him. Norman, you know, takes the mask off and puts the goblin mask on him and says, you know, come now into the darkness. Be a man. Be an Osborn. And I remember reading this and I was just like, holy shit, because this is a you know this is this is not your typical Green Goblin storyline. Like up until now, they were all for the most part pretty standard Green Goblin stories whenever we would get one. And, you know, obviously Norman hadn't been gone back a long time, but the stories we were getting definitely was him messing with Peter and doing other things, but it, not to this point of like delusion of trying to like adopt Peter into, you know, taking on the mantle and he's the true heir. And we've seen this in a lot of other places replicated since it was kind of done here. Um, but yeah, no, it, the, the power of that issue. And again, such amazing artwork. Um, by John Amita Jr. Now the the second chapter is by Paula Jenkins and it's uh, pencils by Mark Buckingham and very different feel artistically. Um, not worse. Um, I don't want anyone to think. I mean, first of all, Buckingham is special on when when he's doing this. Like it's just something about it. He's he's got such a great. Uh, sense of pacing. It's a very different book. It's not as atmospheric. It's a little bit more claustrophobic, but that's kind of by design that you have, you know, Norman trying to break down Peter and have him, you know, kind of give up and try to break through everything that Peter is to eventually, you know, get him to understand that, take the Goblin Serum and become the, the goblin and he this is you know one of those issues where you really get to the core of who peter is that he will not give up even after all this and again buckingham does such a great job with different panel layouts throughout the issue to really drive home the intensity there's a great splash of of peter and the goblin just you know punching each other and peter's like on a, a beard and he's disheveled and he's been through such a such an ordeal and they're they're beating each other up and it's like you don't it's just so interesting it's like uh Peter's like, you know you, you never beat me norman you you never could and you never will and just the look on Osborne's face is saying, you know, I already did and it's like, don't deny it, we both know it's true, you may have bested me physically, but you know I've beaten your spirit and the next time we see the goblin I believe in Peter fighting is the the death of the was it the death of the family I', I forget the name of the storyline, but it was, you know, the Humberto Ramos Paul Jenkins storyline, uh, which radically changed the way the Goblin looked, but really f- picked up on the thematically. It's here, and it, it, you know, it's a haunting issue, and it even ends with, you know, Peter just having to kind of sit there and deal with the fact that, like, did did he beat me? Like, you know, is it, is what he said true? Um, you know, what, what's really going, and what would it take to really take this guy out? It's it's haunting, and it's such a good. Good story, and it's so funny. So you read it in this volume. So again, you have these kind of weird issues where you have the the ranger character. Remember him? You got the Senator Ward character. You got maximum security tie-ins. You got you know some stuff with the spider slayers and Eric Larson and you know a bunch of kind of weird disparate stuff. Then you have. This uh, you know really great story by Roger, Roger Stern and uh, Ron Friends that leads into this great two-parter by Howard Backing and Paula Jenkins, two very different writers with very different artists, end up with one, one hell of a one-two punch that is hard to pull off. Um, that, you know, the whole storyline pulls together nicely, but it really accentuates the different aspects of each writer's writing. Uh, one is a little bit more bombastic. One of them is a lot more psychological, really probing a little bit more. Um, the art, again, it couldn't be more different, but so good, both of them. And you go from that to Amazing Spider-Man 26. And that's by Howard Mackey and John Romita Jr. It's the same creative team, but now you have, like, I, I guess it's the squid. Like, it's it's not. It's just such a weird, messy issue. And I remember just remembering at this period that Amazing Spider-Man felt like it was rudderless. And looking back, they probably knew, well, they must have known, that JMS was on board. He was coming on with issue 30. They just had to kind of clean things up. You have an issue 27 had, you know, all about Spider-Man's bad luck and a black cat that I guess was around and causing all this bad luck. And I mean, you have Johnny Amita jr. Do you know, illustrating all this, but you have just not very good art. I'm sorry. You have great art, but kind of a, a terrible story. Uh, issue 28, it's, uh, got pencils by Joe Bennett, who I do love. Um, and you have the beginning of the issue is all about someone kind of being held captive somewhere. You have the sense it's Mary Jane. So we're bringing Mary Jane back in the book. She's not really dead. And we have a lot of like Peter, Getting flirted with by this this woman who's like a witch, and but she's wearing like skin tight crazy clothes, and it's just like, what what am I reading? What what is this book? Like, I again, I the art is great. Like uh, Bennett is fantastic. Uh, you got Jimmy Six. You got you know the enforcers are here. Like the, again, the art is great, but the story is just kind of like, what what is happening? What's the, what's you know what's the the point of this? At the very end, we see that it is MJ being kept. Uh, you know, captive. And finally, amazing Spider-Man 29 starts the storyline that brings MJ back to the book. Uh, Lee Weeks is an artist I really like. I don't know if he was necessarily the right choice to be part of like this big storyline to kind of finally bring her back. You have Peter dealing with, was it Jill Stacy at the time? Uh, and you know, Peter's trying to deal with the fact that, you know, he's pretty sure that he, no, he, maybe he could still find MJ, but maybe he's crazy. And he's been trying to like put that to bed. And finally, at the end of the issue, like, he finds her, and then this crazy guy, like, says, like, I need it all, I need his life, and it's such a weird, like, the, the guy who ends up being the one who took, you know, captured Mary Jane is is kind of a nobody, and it's such a weird storyline, and, like, the second chapter is by Paul Jenkins, artwork by Charlie Adlard, of all people, uh, that's in Peter Parker's uh, Spider-Man 29 again not a very good issue and they really kind of try to get rid of this this villain really quickly and have Peter and MJ just kind of get back together and then you have a book I do very much enjoy which is The Amazing Spider-Man Annual 2001 which a cover which I believe is Isn't it the art from the Amazing Spider-Man game by Activision? And it's written by Howard Mackey. It's his kind of goodbye to Spider-Man. It's Joe Bennett on pencils. It's fantastic. And it's all about, you know, Peter and MJ are back together. And what does that mean? And, you know, they're so happy together. And uh, everyone's happy to, you know, see MJ alive. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all about them, you know, trying to get their lives back in order. And then at the same time... MJ's scared of him in close spaces. She's, you know, she's scared because she was just held captive. Like, this is terrifying. And, you know, they're trying to get back to who they are as a couple and how much they miss each other, and he's going to be Spider-Man. and He has to kind of do what he needs to do, and she knows that, but is she okay with that anymore? And, you know, she's, where is he when she needs him? She's just been through such an ordeal, and maybe it's not okay anymore, and they decided to take time apart from each other. And, you know, I remember reading this at the time, and I was okay with it, you know? Like, I wasn't upset. It, it never felt like they were necessarily getting them, you know, apart forever, just that, you know, they had issues, and, you know, she'd been through this ordeal. They brought the character back because they couldn't kind of leave it, you know, her limbo, and that they were going to have her kind of move out and try to figure out more about herself. and uh, And just kind of move the character forward, leaving, you know, the character relatively, you know, uh what's the word In, you know encumbrance free for you know the next writer who is jMs and you know I it's kind of a, a soft version of what they would have later do with Brand New Day. Um and it's funny because they they go to the the trouble of pushing MJ out of the book by her being dead and then they come up with a reason to Relatively gently and organically push her away from the book again, um, but then it wasn't too long before JMS was bringing her back. Like it wasn't it what, issue fifty where they had a big conversation and kind of got back together. I can't even remember now, but that only—I mean, I guess that would have been about a year and a half or a little bit more. But you know, it was just interesting that you know there was always this push and this pull of MJ in the book. Anyways, that's Revenge of the Green Goblin. A lot of highs. And a lot of lows. So then we have Peter Parker Spider-Man, which is collected in Spider-Man Light in the Darkness. And this is what prompted me to kind of have this flashback episode to begin with. Although I think I'm going to end up having spent more time talking about Revenge of the Goblin. Um, what's nice about this is this is... It's definitely are marketed more as, you know, this is Paul Jenkins and Mark Buckingham getting into, into Spider-Man. And this is very clear. So this is, I mean, less continuity heavy. uh, for the most part, than The Revenge of the Green Goblin. That was definitely, you know, Amazing Spider-Man was the main book, and once they broke off again and didn't have the same author, you know, writing both books, you had a change in style. You had a change in that now we were going to have, you know, Spider-Man telling other stories that weren't necessarily just, you know, the the main continuity stories. Kind of back to what the B titles always were compared to Amazing Spider-Man. Issue 20 is a great one. It's all about... Uh, it's called the best medicine, but it's all about, you know, Spider-Man not knowing if he can laugh anymore. Again, his wife's, you know, dead. Uh, how does he deal with that? Um, you know, how does he still be Spider-Man? And he's talking to uncle Ben and, uh, you know, he's, it's, it's, it's so funny. He's like, how am I going to be Spider-Man if I can't laugh? So why don't you tell me? Cause I don't know anymore. You tell me what's funny. And someone speeds by in their car and a huge thing of mud just splashes up on Peter and, you know, obviously Parker luck. And he just kind of sits there. And he just goes, oh, God, and then and it's just stifling, and then he just starts breaking out into a huge bit of laughter. Now, Mark Buckingham could not have been the better choice to be with Paul Jenkins on these issues. He's able to convey human emotions so well, and so you have, again, you have this great issue. Where it's all about Peter having a crisis of, of not of faith, but you know, how can I be who I am if I'm not funny? Uh, or if I can't have a sense of humor, this is a huge part of who I am, and I I can't find the funny. And at the end of the issue, having all this mud you know thrown up on him as like kind of a sign, and the fact that he can be funny, um, you know, and it's 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 just such a fun. It's a fun run. It's got emotional beats. I mean, again, that is a very you know heavy, heavy issue, but it's also entertaining. And you know, the the next issue is again more of the same. You have. Um, peter and human torch having a bit of a you know conversation it's all about you know peter deciding that he should just take a chance and do things so at the end he actually goes and you know on at a at the comedy box uh you know at an open mic night and uh he tries uh you know to you know to do that and it doesn't go very well but it's something he's always wanted to do and it's just it was pushing the character in a different direction or letting them do different things uh, you have a Peter Parker, spita- uh, sorry, Peter Parker, Spider Man annual here, uh, with uh, a plot by Chris Claremont, a script by Bill Roseman and Joe Bennett on pencils. Um, it's kind of you know it's a it's kind of a fun done in one issue. You have Spider Man kind of working as a as a bartender I guess in the issue, which does I guess you know he's kind of looking for money where he can. And he teams up with this character named Bounty. Uh, it's very much like non you not your typical Spider Man fare. Uh, Joe Bennett, again, is such a great penciler that you just kind of go with it. It's a lot of fun, and, uh, yeah, it's very entertaining. And then you have a backup by Gregory Wright and, again, by Joe Bennett, um, this time about the Black Cat and uh, Hydra Man of all people, and that's a a lot of fun. And then you move into, uh, you know, Spider-Man 22, which is a great storyline with uh, the Sandman. So at that point, Sandman had had a a piece uh, bitten out of him uh, because of uh, Venom, and he was slowly kind of decomposing and kind of falling apart. And At the very end, it's so sad. It's a very emotional kind of issue because, you know, he's not really trying to fight Spider-Man. He's trying to kind of hold himself together. At the very end, he's like, you tell my mom I tried, okay? And Sam, it's like, Sam, man. And he's like, ah, sorry, bud, I can't do this no more. Just promise you'll tell her, okay? That Flint Marco guy, he was a good man. I never wanted to be him. I was always William Baker. Sorry. That Flint Marco guy, he was a bad man. I never wanted to be him. I was always William Baker. And then he just kind of brushed away and just says, "Ah, nuts." And it's 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 a very sad issue. At the end, you know, you're not you're really sure what happened to him, and it looks like you know, Sandman's still alive, but he's a beach somewhere, and he's not really in control of his body anymore. Obviously, we'll eventually see him in future storylines, and but you know, in and of itself, it's you know, it, it's it's a very sad issue. But again, kind of a nice done in one issue. Twenty three is all about um, you know, one of the most ludicrous. Uh, villains I've ever seen in the Spider-Man book, which is Typeface. But, you know, Jenkins plays it for fun and for humor. And, you know, he knows how silly it is, and he just has fun with it. Then you have a, a maximum security storyline, which is all about aliens, and Typeface is is back again. Then, then you cut to Amazing Spider-Man 25, so you don't have the benefit of the lead-up in Revenge of the Green Goblin anymore, which you did in the other trade. But you just jump right into Amazing Spider-Man 25, which is a bit jarring because, again, uh, you haven't played with as much continuity in uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man at this point. And then you go right into the you know um, Spider-Man 25, which was again in the other trade, which again, a great Jenkins and um, Buckingham issue. Then you move into a book that has always been one of my favorites, which is Peter Parker Spider-Man 26. Um, again, Joe Bennett on pencils, this time Paul Jenkins still writing it. And it's all about how cops... Throughout the years, have viewed Spider-Man, so you get a lot of callbacks to specific battles, and and things have happened. And again, it's just kind of a, a nameless interviewer talking to people. And at the very end, it's about you know Peter, um, and and what Peter thinks of, of Spider-Man, or like just the idea that someone at, at some point interacted with. You see, one of the cops he talks to was actually one of the cops who was uh, on the pier the night Gwen Stacy died and just he took, kind of tells the story of of you know interviewing Peter afterwards and you know the the look in Peter's eyes when he said when he told him that you know believe me Spider-Man did everything he could and just the look in Peter's face saying thanks Sarge. and you know it's it, it's it always to me is a very emotional issue and very entertaining but you know very gripping uh and a lot of these issues were by Jenkins you know he was just doing these explorations and again it sets it apart and at the time maybe felt made maybe would have made it felt less important, but the quality was so high that you really were like, this is great stuff. This is, you know, and it reads really well now. I mean, it's been 20 years almost. And these books are just as engaging. Uh, the next issue uh, is issue 27 again by Jenkins and Buckingham. Um, you have a little bit more kind of looking back on what Peter has been through lately, especially with Osborne Uh, he ends up going, this is kind of a a robot master story, uh, which is, you know, it's a two parter and, you know, a little bit more emotional again, tugging on heartstrings and really kind of pushing the character in certain directions. Um, then you have issue 29. Now this is where I really have a problem with is that, as I said before, you have this three part storyline to bring MJ back to the book. So in the other one, you have both, you know, both sides. Here, you don't have issue twenty nine of Amazing Spider Man. You have a very short previously, um, which is above the cover to Peter Parker Spider Man twenty nine, uh, and then you, you have this you know this issue which ends with you know Peter and MJ embracing and him being so happy she's back. It's conti- be, to be continued in Amazing Spider Man Annual two thousand one, which is not here. And now we just have a little text recap. You know, I just don't understand why it's a three-part storyline. You could not have included, you know, chapter one and chapter, you know, three. I get it. Maybe Paul Jenkins didn't write those. But he also didn't write, you know, the annual here, which was by Chris Claremont. He or Chris Claremont and uh, Roseman. Uh, he didn't write, you know, issue twenty-five. That was by Howard Mackey. It's just interesting choices to kind of keep out those two big issues. Uh, and then when you jump in with issue thirty-one. Um, Or I should say 30, you know, a sea change has happened. Like, MJ's out of the book now. Like, you know, it's a whole new, you know, feeling. The book is going to be different now. Uh, You have JMS kind of doing his thing, and you introduce the Fusion story. Um, Fusion as a villain, I was not a huge fan of when it first happened, but rereading it now, I actually enjoy it a lot more. And uh, I think I was too harsh on it when I was younger. And I will pretty much finish off with uh, a great issue, issue 33. Uh, which is all about uh, Peter Parker and uh, his Uncle Ben's love for the Mets. And if it, it, it's interesting when I talked to Paul Jenkins about this years ago, uh, he said like it almost didn't matter that it was the Mets; it just needed to be a base, like uh, uh, a sports team of some kind that someone could kind of relate to. And he kind of had this based on his own interactions. I believe it was soccer um, in his youth, and, and just the idea of you know. This this hard luck team. And it's quite an emotional issue. Again, it's kind of standalone. It's a flashback tale just about Peter and uh and his uncle going to these Mets games and how, you know, it was their um you know, the the thing that they did every year. And um, you know, at the very end it's it's so sad because you have the idea that, you know, Peter you you don't always know what's there until it's gone, and you don't always know how long it's gonna be there for. And it's all this idea that, you know, Peter didn't want, now that you know Peter didn't want to go with Uncle Ben to this game, and he finally is you know is convinced that yes they should, and finally they you know they go every year, and finally the Mets win. And he says Uncle Ben, did you see? And he says you know, but he didn't have to say a word. The whole message of the moment was written on his face, and Peter just says, Yeah, I get it. Life's a very long season. Some you win, and then the narration just says. And just for today, we were winners, me and my Uncle Ben sharing a moment in the in the seats of Shea Stadium. The Mets had finally won. Suddenly, life made complete sense to me. And then it's just such a tragic panel if you see uh, empty seats and you just see, you know, kind of a ghost-like version of, of Uncle Ben. And then you just see the seats and no Uncle Ben. And it just says, three days later, he was dead. And it's just so you know, you think you're reading one thing and then it just kind of hits you. And it's all about, you know, the impermanence of life. And it, and it's, you know, the issue's called Maybe Next Year. And it ends with such a phenomenal shot of a very young Peter with his glove and his hat walking to the game, you know, or I guess walking out of the game is somewhat dejected after Mets loss uh, with Uncle Ben. And it just, it hits me every time. It is such a great issue. Um, and I it's interesting. Like, if I had to say, like, which of these volumes is the better read, I would say Light in the Darkness is the one that would have my you know, even though it's missing the Revenge of the Green Goblin storyline, it's uh, that you know that miniseries. It's got so many solid issues that you don't need to know continuity. Continuity doesn't matter. You know these are heartfelt stories. You quickly understand where the character is, and that's all that matters. Uh, you get caught up pretty quickly, and then it's about the emotions. It's you know you could read the issue about you know the um, the police officers being interviewed about Spider Man. It doesn't matter when you read that. You can read it now. You can read it twenty, you know, twenty years from now or twenty years ago. You know, it still kind of works. You don't need to know the continuity of the character to understand. I mean, if you know that Peter Spider Man, that helps <laughs> because of obviously the the moment about you know Peter why it mattering to him so much to hear it, that the cop saying that you know he saw Spider Man do everything he could to save Gwen. It means something. Anyways, I just wanted to talk about these two trades. Uh, they're on my shelf. Uh, one is definitely a little bit better than the other, more cohesive. Um, you know, one has got the core continuity of the time, but you could, when you read it, you get a sense of just how they didn't really know what to do from issue to issue because they knew that JMS was on board or coming on board, and they were just kind of figuring out what to do with Spider-Man. Whereas you read with, uh, you read Peter Parker, Spider-Man and Spider-Man Light in the Darkness, and you get a sense that John, Paul Jenkins knows exactly what he wants to do with Spider-Man, what type of stories he wants to tell, uh, the psychological... Uh, you know, way he wants to really deep go deep into the character, and it is immensely enjoyable. Anyways, that is the episode for today. Thank you for downloading this episode of the podcast. You can email me at comma shenanigans at gmail dot com. You can rate and, rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye bye.